You can email me, Christy, at director at mitoaction.org, or you could email Cliff, cliff at umdf.org. And the way our call will go today is we will not have questions at the beginning. We'll allow Travis to take us through the exciting details of the upcoming Stealth Biotherapeutics trial, and then we'll open up for Q&A with all of these different ways for you to ask questions that Cliff was just mentioning. But if you have any questions or trouble, don't hesitate to email us. We'll do the best we can to help you out. All right, Cliff, anything else that you need to share with the group before we get started? We are ready to go. Okay, super. So good. welcome, everybody, again. This is Christy Balsell speaking from MitoAction, and thank you so much, Cliff, from UMDF, for hosting us today. And a huge welcome to our friends from Stealth Biotherapeutics. We're really excited to have Travis Wilson, the CEO of Stealth, joining us today. And uh, Travis, if you don't mind, I'll do the honors of giving you a little introduction, and then we'll hand it over to you. That sounds great, Christy. Thank you, and thank you, everyone, for joining today. So Travis has a long-standing commitment to patients with mitochondrial disease. Uh, it's been a pleasure of mine to have known Travis for a number of years since Stealth and the idea of bringing a therapeutic for patients with mitochondrial disease was really just an idea and a desk and a chair and a room, and that's all. And it's really been exciting for us to see the company Stealth Biotherapeutics evolve and to be at this point today where we are announcing a trial in 2015 for patients with mitochondrial disease. Travis has a background with life science investing as part of the Morningside group and truly has been, I think, the visionary behind self-biotherapeutics and where we are today. And Travis, I think I speak for all of us when I say we really appreciate your ability to see the big picture because that approach to drug development and therapeutics across multiple disease areas has really been a stellar example of how there can be a novel approach to mitochondrial disease therapeutics, as we've seen already with Bendavia in other disease spaces. So, Travis, we congratulate you guys, and we congratulate the entire team itself for uh, where we are today, and the patient community is very excited to hear about all that's going to happen in 2015 and this mitochondrial myopathy trial. So, Travis, a big welcome, and uh, I'll hand it over to you. Uh, thank you, Christy, for that welcome, and thank MitoAction and UMDF and UCLIF for putting this together. Just appreciate the opportunity to talk about the trial and to give everyone who isn't familiar with what we're doing with mitochondrial myopathy more familiarity about Bendavia, as well as just more familiarity around the trial and how they can participate. So as Christy said, and Travis Wilson, I'm the CEO at Stealth. Um, some of you may have remembered us from a number of meetings where Stealth Peptides was our former name, and we've now changed that to Stealth Biotherapeutics. We haven't wavered from our commitment to patients like all of you, and we certainly want to be committed to even broadening out the things that we're doing for developing new drugs with patients that have mitochondrial disease. One of the things that we've been focused in on over the last few years is the development of our two drugs that are in the clinic, that is Bendavia and Acuvia. And some of you may be familiar with the call that we had with MitoAction some time ago talking about Acuvia, which is a topical eye drop that we're looking at for patients that have some of the mitochondrial optic neuropathies, including labors. And I'll talk about more what we're doing with Acuvia as we get further into our discussion today. But I think everyone's here really to learn about Bendavia and what we've been doing with Bendavia over the years and how that's been studied and its unique mechanism and where we've been in the clinic and, more importantly, where we're headed to in the clinic with the mitochondrial myopathy study starting this month. So as background for all of you to talk about Bendavia, it has been in over 15 clinical trials, been in over 500 patients and volunteers, and is part of three ongoing cardiovascular studies that are taking place, some of which at the Mayo Clinic and some of those with investigators here at Harvard in Boston. We just presented at the NIH in their annual kidney meeting that they held yesterday on positive data in patients with chronic kidney disease that undergo an acute injury. What Bendavia is doing in those patients 
is lowering their serum creatinine and beneficially helping kidney function. Now, what does that mean for all of the patients on the call today? It means the drug has been safe and well tolerated in those patients we've studied, but also there's a biologic benefit around the mechanism as it relates to mitochondria. <clears throat> so what is the mechanism for Bendavia? You know, this is a drug that has been given orally, parenterally, and IV in a number of healthy volunteers, phase one studies. It interacts with a lipid on the inner mitochondrial membrane known as cardiolipin. So some of you that may have uh, family or friends that have Barth syndrome, if cardiolipin is the disorder related to that disease. And what we're doing is allowing Bendavia to interact with cardiolipin to restore the energetics of the mitochondria across mitochondrial diseases. When that happens, two things take place. The first of which is an overall benefit in ATP and a restoration in ATP levels across diseases. And there's also, as a consequence, a reduction in the amount of oxidative stress that takes place. Both of those things lead to an overall improvement in disease and a modification of disease progression. We've been fortunate to work with some of the top clinicians and scientists in the mitochondrial research field, as well as some of the other areas that I spoke about in cardiovascular disease and kidney disease. And what we've been able to see in over 100 peer-reviewed publications and abstracts on Bendavia is to talk about the changes that we're seeing with modification of disease, as well as some of these diseases that affect the patient community. So there's been a lot of information about the drug that's been described in the literature, and I'm sure that some of you are familiar with it from your background reading as well. So a brief outline of what we have planned this year with Bendavia. We have multiple clinical areas that we're exploring, but the most important of us, and hopefully the most important to all of you, is the mitochondrial myopathy study that we'll be talking about today and answering questions on later. So Bendavia is also enrolling a skeletal muscle study at the University of Washington, where we're looking at the mitochondrial's role in diseases of aging. And what we're hoping to see is an improvement in skeletal muscle function, which is directly germane to the patients that have mitochondrial myopathy. Looking to see safe and well-tolerated in patients mm -hmm. with mitochondrial myopathy, but also is there a potential benefit in the reduction of fatigue as well as skeletal muscle exercise intolerance. Acuvia, as I mentioned, has also been in the clinic and is currently being studied in diabetic macular edema, and it operates with a similar mechanism of restoring ATP and energetics in disease and reducing oxidative stress. And later this year, and, and both Christy and Cliff are aware of this, we're looking at acuvia in labor's hereditary optic neuropathy patients, and that's a study that we hope to start for the second half of this year. So a lot going on at Stealth in some of the clinical areas that I spoke about, but what we're here to talk about today, the mitochondrial myopathy trial, we want to give more background as to why we decided to explore this area and hopefully bring a treatment to patients. For us, the mechanism that I described with Bendavia is important because it aligns with how we think about the disease and across several different inherited mitochondrial diseases. For those of you that have family, friends that have a mitochondrial disease, you know there are over 270 of these genetic inherited disorders. What Bendavia is doing at the mitochondrial level is to fix the electron transport chain or help restore the electron transport chain to have the potential to be able to treat across the different mitochondrial diseases and impact what matters to many patients, and that is their skeletal muscle myopathy. The study will start this month, and we'll be enrolling patients toward the end of the month, and we have four sites in the U.S. that'll be recruiting patients. 
the first of which is Dr. Bruce Cohen at Akron's Children's Hospital, and he is starting, and his site is up and rolling and starting to recruit patients this month. And many of you have known Dr. Cohen from some of the other studies that he's been involved with, obviously a leader and fantastic clinician in the field. Um, we also have the University of California, San Diego, and that is going to be a study site led by Dr. Richard Hawes. And, and Richard and Bruce uh, have both been instrumental in helping us design this trial and how we start to think about treating patients with mitochondrial myopathy. The other two fantastic investigators that have been involved in that collaborative process to develop the study and treat patients are Dr. Amy Goldstein and Dr. Gerald Vockley at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and Dr. Mel Carr at Mass General Hospital. Those are our four sites in Pittsburgh, in Akron, in San Diego, and here in Boston. And so the study that those investigators have helped design is looking at inclusion-exclusion criteria where there's a confirmed diagnosis of mitochondrial myopathy. So this is a genetically confirmed mitochondrial disease with one of the components of that disease being myopathy. And that relates, as many of you know, to skeletal muscle impairments and overall reduction in improvement we're looking for is to help fix the mitochondrial problems that are taking place, the fatigue and exercise intolerance. So as we mentioned, it's a genetically confirmed mitochondrial disease that we're looking at. This is something that is not part of the trial. We're not doing genetic testing as part of the trial. So these are patients that can be eligible for the trial that have been part of a genetic test and have their mitochondrial disease confirmed. And certainly, the four centers that we'll be looking at have probably done uh, genetic testing for some of the patients. Ages for the trial, 16 to 65. Those are, that's the range of, of patients that are eligible to be enrolled in the trial. This is a relatively small trial. And the reason it's a relatively small trial is because we want to be able to have an opportunity to look at Bendavia's safety and tolerability in patients with mitochondrial myopathy. It's a small trial also so that we can enroll it quickly. And if we start to see that there's an opportunity to help patients here to be able to start the next studies in this area and hopefully look into 2016 for larger studies in mitochondrial myopathy. To give everyone an idea of what the dosing plan looks like, what we're doing with Bendavia is a study in which there'll be an overnight stay in the hospital, and we're looking at five to seven days commitment to be enrolled into the trial. The study duration is IV dosing for two hours daily for five days. And again, a small trial of 36 patients with a short duration of treatment, all this is in support of hoping to have as much information as we can, as quickly as we can, to see if we can bring this particular therapy into later stage clinical trials to help patients. Bendavia is not currently a commercially approved FDA drug. It's under clinical trial investigation. And so having a small trial that's very quickly enrolled is important to us to advance the overall development of the drug. Some of the rationales behind looking at mitochondrial myopathy have come from interactions that we've had with the investigators that I mentioned but also the work that we've been able to do with the UMDF and MitoAction. We know that a major and severe symptom of mitochondrial disease is fatigue, and specifically skeletal muscle fatigue and exercise intolerance. And that's, for us, how we're viewing the over 270 rare genetic mitochondrial diseases is through that specific as it relates to the skeletal muscle structure and function. We know mitochondrial myopathy can impair the daily lives and impact the quality of life of patients with mitochondrial disease. And so an opportunity to show that we can be safe and tolerated in those patients and then hopefully in later clinical studies 
show that we can provide some benefit. That's our goal here at Stellum. It's no accident that we're working with a lot of the top clinicians and researchers that are part of the trial. That's because we want to understand what patients' needs are and where the biggest needs are for patients. And that, again, has brought us back to myopathy as an area where fatigue and exercise capacity has been something that has been emphasized time and time again by those that we work with as a major problem for mitochondrial disease patients. Some of the other outcome measures that we're looking at in the trial, we're looking at exercise capacity specifically, a six-minute walk test. And you don't have to be able to complete the six-minute walk test as one entire continuous walk. This is one where you're able to take a break while you're doing your six-minute walk, and we're seeing whether or not we can have a benefit on that six-minute walk test in patients irrespective of their baseline ability to complete that walk at the start of the trial. We're also looking at cardiopulmonary exercise testing. So CPET testing, as you probably have heard, and this looks at overall cardiac function and uh, looking at volume of air that's been able to take and exhale and see if we can benefit that in patients with mitochondrial myopathy. There'll be a number of exploratory lab tests that we're also looking at, some clinical labs for safety, and some other clinical labs that we're looking at to see if there are biomarkers related to mitochondrial function that we may be influencing in mitochondrial myopathy patients. We'll have more information available on the trial uh, on clinicaltrials.gov, on our website, which can also link you to clinicaltrials.gov, and we're also initiating a call center that can take calls for patients that want to be part of the study and want to learn more about the trial. I want to reiterate our commitment to patients for finding opportunities to be able to benefit them in their daily lives. We hope that Bendavia in mitochondrial myopathy will be able to do that down the road as we get into later stage trials. And we hope that Acuvia will be able to do that in some of the mitochondrial optic neuropathy. I've probably given you a background of what we're doing and how we're thinking about the development of Bendavia and Acuvia. And Christy and Cliff, I want to turn it back over to you to provide some more information and answer some questions that might be part of the discussion of the trial with all of the listeners. Thank you so much, Travis. And again, congratulations on this monumental occasion to be launching this trial and uh, and really exciting news, especially, I think, for the adult population of patients who have really been watching closely what's happening with this mitochondrial myopathy trial. Um, so, Cliff, I have a couple questions that have come in through email, and, and uh, I know you probably have some also. Um, I, I, I am waiting for folks. If they want to go ahead and ask a question, simply um, submit it to Q&A the Q&A button. Um, we do have a question, and one of the questions is, uh, we'll get to that in a second, and also you can raise your hand if you want to ask a question over the phone. Um, also, the, the question that we do have is, is Bendavia already approved in other countries, and is it used in other countries to treat kidney failure or other diseases? Hi, Cliff. Thank you for that question. And although we're on clinical studies, in other countries, including and most notably Europe, we are not approved commercially in those other countries. So this is an investigational drug worldwide, and that's why we're doing the later stage clinical development. You mentioned specifically the renal benefit. This is a phase two study that the Mayo Clinic conducted, and we did a interim analysis on that study to see that we were having a positive benefit in overall function of the kidney. Uh, but again, uh, underscore that is not a commercially approved product either in the U.S. or worldwide, rest of world. Okay, we do have a, uh, a caller on the phone. Let's see if Francie would like to ask her question. Go ahead, Francie. 
Hi, I'm wondering if the overnight hospital stay and the IV dosing has to take place at one of the fork file sites or if it could be done at another hospital, sort of closer to home. Uh, good question, and thank you for that question. It does have to be done at those four trial sites. Longer term, for where we are with the treatment for mitochondrial myopathy, we're looking at either a parenteral dosing for patients, and so that will obviously not have as much limitations, but for this fast, small study that we're looking at in terms of seven days dosing, or five days dosing in a seven-day trial, where it does need to take place at the trial site. The one thing that I'll mention is that we've set aside some individual uh, funds to be able to provide some travel support for those that want to enroll in the trial. And our 1-800 number will have more information at the call center about how to get involved in the trial and look at that travel support to be able to facilitate patients who may not be by or live near one of these four centers. So if somebody is going to clinicaltrials.gov, is there anything they need to search for in order to find this? I think you can search for Stealth. I also think you can search for Bendavia to be able to find it. Both of those will have the trial up and located. And certainly with Bendavia, you'll also be able to see a lot of the other clinical trials that we're recruiting patients in in other areas. But most importantly, mitochondrial myopathy is what you want to be looking for. The timing for posting for that will be up at the start of next week. Okay. Okay. And this also I want to point out. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry but Christy. I was just going to say we'll, we'll be sure to post that link directly as well. So callers, you can find those links on umdf.org and mitoaction.org as well. So you can link directly to the clinical trials. Right. Go ahead, Cliff, and then I have a couple questions that have come in over email. No, you covered it. I wanted to just point out that each um, UMDF and MitoAction has a page dedicated to this where all the information will be, and they're very similar, so it's, you know, on the screen right now, but for those just listening on the phone, it would be www.mitoaction.org slash mmtrial or umdf.org slash mmtrial, so that you can find the latest information there as well. Okay, great. Uh, Cliff, do you mind I'll go ahead with a question I've gotten over email? Sure, go right ahead. Okay, so the question is to ask a little bit more about genetic diagnosis. Would a muscle biopsy be sufficient for a, for a genetic diagnosis, or do you have to have uh, genetic sequencing done? Travis? So it does need to be genetic sequencing. Now, in some instances, that can come from a biological sample, which could include a skeletal muscle biopsy. But it does need to be a genetic sequencing that's done either from uh, urine, blood, or biopsy tissue to be able to extract DNA. Is that helpful, Christy? Yes, thank you. And I have a couple others. Uh, Cliff, do you mind if I proceed and then we can take those folks on the phone? Sure. We the, go right ahead. We have a couple that are um, typing in questions right now, so by the time you ask that question, we can come back to that. Okay. So uh, some of the patients with Labor's Elhan have been watching closely the QVIA trial as well as Bendavia, and uh, one of the patients asks, for patients who have Elhan Plus, which meaning they have the symptoms that are the visual symptoms but some myopathy symptoms also, would this trial be open to them also? So if there is a genetically confirmed uh, test, as we spoke about a minute ago, and if there's a mitochondrial myopathy associated with that, so it is possible that there may be Elhan patients that have a genetically confirmed case of Elhan that have mitochondrial myopathy as Elhan Plus, as some of the uh, folks that, that um, are part of that patient community talk about, they may be eligible for the trial. That's correct, as long as they meet the other inclusion-exclusion criteria, Christy. Super, thank you. Okay, go ahead, Cliff. Looks like you've got some folks stacked up there asking questions. So. Yeah, let's go to the phone first. Jeff, you've been waiting patiently. What is your question for Travis? Jeff, are you there? Okay, no, Jeff, let's go to Donna. You have a question for Travis? 
Donna? I think I typed it in, but um, I didn't know you were going to do it over the phone. So my question is, Travis, what are the side effects and what are the risks? That's a very good question. You know, so far in the patients that we've looked at and, and studied in phase one clinical trials as well as phase two clinical trials, you know, the, the drug has been safe and well tolerated. Um, you know, I think there's the identified risks are something that you should ask about with any clinical trial. Um, I can speak to where our experience has been in patients and volunteers in the past, but certainly for patients that have mitochondrial myopathy, always good idea to ask your physician what might be the potential risks of a new therapy for treatment. Thank you for that question. Travis, we have a, a question. Can any mito doctor send a request for you to participate in this trial? I, Cliff, you, that our call center will be able to take those requests, and certainly the investigators for the trial uh, are, will be enrolling patients. So there's an opportunity, if the inclusion exclusion criteria is met, to be able to be at those centers. But more information at the call center will certainly be available to help guide some of those patients. And, and the other question is, um, the person is saying that her 32-year-old son is not able to walk. I know you specifically mentioned a walk test, but could he still be considered for this trial? It does need to be someone that can complete the six-minute walk. Again, I spoke earlier about the opportunity to take a break during that period of time. We hope in later trials to perhaps broaden out from where we are today. But today for this short study and for a relatively small trial in this when we're looking at 36 patients, the individual does need to be able to complete that six-minute walk test. Okay. Um, Christy, should we take a phone call? Sure, and then I have a couple more questions coming across email as well. Let's do the phone call first. Perfect, and that would be Carrie. Would you like to ask your question? Not sure what's going on with these phones today. Let's move along then. Um, Lisa, are you there? Did you say Lisa? I did say Lisa. That would be you. Okay. Yes, I am here. I typed it in, so I wasn't sure I was going to have a phone as well. Um, are there plans to use this drug that genetics couldn't confirm or deny that it was genetically, uh, you know, a, an orphan case or like an adult with adult onset mito with myopathy? Are there plans to use this drug for, for those patients as well? That's a very good question. I I think, Lisa, for this particular trial, we have we need to have that genetically confirmed uh, mitochondrial disease. But I think for later stage development and where we're looking at more broadly with mitochondrial myopathy, there may be an opportunity to have patients that are not with a genetically confirmed case of mito. Okay, I have a question over email, Cliff. I can jump in. Sure, go right ahead. Okay, so a question from Alan asking Travis, um, still building on the concerns about genetic diagnosis, saying that if there are variants of unknown significance but these don't necessarily associate with a genetic diagnosis, what's the exclusion criteria then? So perhaps you could um, dig in a little deeper and talk about that. Sure, and, and the exclusion criteria will be available uh, at the study centers, and, and you'll be able to see some of that through our call center as well on clinicaltrials.gov. But to detail more background on that, it does need to be a genetically confirmed case that the investigators that are part of our trial agree meet criteria to be enrolled into the study. Um, certainly age uh, are one of those exclusion factors that is a bright line. You know, we are not looking at patients under 16 years of age and certainly not looking at patients older than 65 years of age. And there are a number of laboratory tests as well that may be inclusion-exclusion criteria related in terms of not being able to be eligible for the trial. Okay, super. 
I have a, another question, um, and then, uh, Cliff, we can go back to the phone. Uh, this sure. question is about patients who have mitochondrial myopathy and kidney disease. Since you had mentioned Bendavia's um, impact on other organs, is there a potential increased benefit for patients who have multiple organ involvement, such as uh, nephritis or kidney disease? Uh, it's a good question. In, in some of the non-clinical work that we have done, we've certainly seen that benefit. And some of the early signals and trials that I mentioned about earlier, as well as in other areas, we've seen a number of different opportunities to impact some of those diseases that may be whole body-wide. Um, we're looking at skeletal muscle specifically with mitochondrial myopathy. But based on non-clinical, we're going to look at potentially some of the biomarkers that may be related to other organ function performance, including the kidney, and that'll be part of the trial and what we look to evaluate during this trial and certainly for our later stage clinical trials with Pandavi as well. Super, thank you. Okay, Cliff, you wanna go back to your phone questions? Yeah, let's see. Um, Esther, are you interested in asking a question? Um, yeah. Esther, are you there? Well, I thought I heard, but okay. Try one more time, Esther. Can can you hear us? I can hear you. Do you have a question? Yes. Um, I was just wondering. I um had a muscle biopsy done. And, um, but I don't know if it had the genetic sequencing. So I'm wondering if there's enough time to get that done before the trial. That's a very good question. And obviously that will depend on trial recruitment and how quickly we can recruit the mitochondrial myopathy study. But you should certainly ask your doctor about where that test is. Um, in progress because there may be an opportunity if it gets done quickly enough to be eligible, assuming all other inclusion exclusion criteria might be met, to be part of the study. Thank you for that okay. question. Thank you for answering that. that um, we're just waiting. If, if you have a question you'd like to ask it over the phone, just raise your hand and we will certainly um, call on you. And if you'd like to send your question via Q&A, that would be fine as well. Just type your question in and we will try to get to it. It looks like we have another caller on the line. Doug, would you like to ask your question? Yes, thank you. I was wondering if there's any uh, plan in the future for Pendavia trials and the treatment of neurological disorders like uh, Lake syndrome. Uh, it's a very good question. We've seen in some of the work, again, that we've done in, in early non-clinical studies benefit in neurologic function, and I think later in our development, there may be trials that look specifically at some of the neurologic components. As part of this particular study, there will be the Newcastle score or an abbreviated Newcastle score that will be looked at, so certainly we will be assessing whether or not there is any potential benefit or risk in a neurological capacity with Bendavia. You know, for any clinical trial, one of the things that we always remind people about is that there will be an extensive informed consent process, and that informed consent process will obviously be something where you can ask your clinician about what the inclusion-exclusion criteria look like as well as to become more educated about the potential risks and potential benefits of enrolling in a clinical study like the mitochondrial myopathy trial that we're talking about today. So I hope that helps answer your question. Okay, I have another good question that's come over email. So the question is, if you participate in this initial trial, will it exclude you from participating in future Bendavia trials? It will not exclude you, uh, but as the clinical trials and these additional clinical trials start to develop, um, certainly they'll have their own components of inclusion-exclusion criteria. But we can't say with certainty that 
being part of this trial will exclude you from another trial. Um, that will be based on individual trial inclusion-exclusion criteria, and it's certainly possible that in both studies and, and later studies, all those criteria could be met and you could be enrolled in multiple clinical trials with Bendavia. And so we have a question coming in. Are patients from outside of the United States allowed to participate in this trial? The patients outside of the United States are not allowed to participate in this particular study, but obviously we're working with a lot of the mitochondrial clinicians in Europe currently and in other areas of the world. And later stage trials are planned to look at worldwide potential recruitment and certainly U.S., Europe, and perhaps South America. And will there be long-term follow-up or is it limited to the seven-day study? There will be follow-up shortly after the seven-day study, but not long-term follow-up in terms of six months or a year. And building on that, uh, Travis, how many visits do you expect patients will need to make to the one of four study sites before actually entering the trial and having that period of hospitalization for drug administration? Uh, really, we think that it'll be only one visit to a particular study site. Um, and at the study site, we're looking at really eight visits to that particular site for those seven days that I spoke about earlier, including the uh, first day of going into the study that I mentioned. And then uh, another question is, is there any cost with the hospital stay to the patient who's in this study? Uh, the, the hospital stay, could you repeat the question, Christy? I've... Is there any cost to the patient for the hospital stay? There's no cost to the patient. Okay, great. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we've had available and more discussion about it at our call center. Um, we've looked at a, a travel fund to help patients that need to be able to participate in one of the clinical trial sites but might not from their home destination be close enough to those individual sites. Super. Looks like there's a couple people uh, raising their hand or having questions on the phone. Cliff, I'll let you take them. Yeah, is, is, a, is a swab potentially enough to provide you with enough uh, genetic information to qualify for this? It, it's possible that it may be enough genetic information. It just needs to be an accepted test agreed upon by the investigators that it is a clear genetically confirmed uh, test and that that test shows a mitochondrial genetic disease. We do not test in our particular study. Um, that will be a confirmed test that uh, the clinicians for the patients that are on the phone and their families and friends, those individuals will already, we're looking to already have them with a genetically confirmed test that our investigators in this trial agree upon the results for. And I, I wanted to go back to the to the infographic slide because we're getting some questions about um, which doctors, which sites are participating, and this slide has all of that information. And also some folks who are just joining asking if this is being recorded. It is, and we will have links on the UMDF website as well as the MitoAction website. Um, we both have web pages set up, and uh, depending on which site you go to, the friendly link is MM trial, so it would be uh, www.mitoaction.org/mmtrial or www.umdf.org/mmtrial. So that will have information there for you as well. And we'll continue to update that, including a summary of today's call and uh, additional information as it evolves as well. So it'd be a good place to continue to check back. Also. So another question is, does it make a difference whether it's a nuclear mitochondrial dysfunction versus a mito uh, DNA dysfunction? It does not make a difference whether it's a mitochondrial DNA or a nuclear DNA, as long as it's part of what are understood to be one of the mitochondrial inherited diseases. 
Okay. Uh, Travis, sometimes folks looking ahead, and uh, we've seen this, you know, evolving with other trials, would you take a moment and kind of map out what the long-term intention is with study of Bendavia in mitochondrial patients? Uh, certainly, uh, Christy. Yeah, obviously from a development standpoint with Bendavia, the first thing that we're looking at in this particular study is to make sure that in patients with mitochondrial disease, Bendavia is safe and well-tolerated across a number of doses. From there, we look to enroll larger clinical studies that may look at other routes of administration that are more amenable to longer-term therapy, and that would be clinical trials that would begin most likely in 2016. As we start to look ahead further, when we look at potential benefit, what we're hoping to be able to show and may be able, from a potential standpoint, based on a lot of the non-clinical work that we have done, is that we see an improvement in skeletal muscle exercise capacity across a number of mitochondrial inherited diseases. Part of the clinical study and investigation, it's unclear whether we'll see that in all 270-plus mitochondrial inherited diseases, but we're certainly looking at one registration pathway with mitochondrial myopathy to be able to show across those diseases are there potential benefits for patients to deal with their challenges of daily living and to improve the fatigue that is a, is a primary common problem to many of the patients. So downstream long-term where we're looking is to be able to have in 2016 several larger clinical studies and be able to look toward 2017 and 2018 for the types of commercial questions that individuals had asked earlier on the call. Travis, I had a question emailed to me, and I'm not sure if you would know, but I'll ask it anyway. If people are on the trial, um, is there any potential for compassionate use following the trial? In this first study, Cliff, and that's a very good question, um, we're not looking at compassionate use. Again, for later stage trials you know, starting next year, and depending on the speed of enrollment of this particular trial, may in fact even start this year. Those would certainly be trials where we would be open to compassionate use for patients. This particular study, it does not have that component, but again, we recruit this study quickly and are able to get sites up and patients enrolled in the study. You know, toward the end of this year and the start of next year, we hope to have additional studies ongoing where we would be open to compassionate use. Okay. And, and we're getting a question, um, first of all, somebody thanking you for your interest in developing a treatment for mitochondrial diseases. They're wishing you very best wishes on the study. But the question is, when do you anticipate the result from this study being available? Well, again, all studies will be based around how fast that we can recruit patients to the four sites that are identified. There may be other sites that, that become available, but for right now, we're looking at these four sites. And for the 36 patients that we're looking to enroll in the study, um, the faster that we can enroll the study and be able to look at clinical data coming out of the study, the more quickly we'll be able to have results coming out and be able to begin additional clinical studies with Bendavia and patients with mitochondrial myopathy. So we're thinking, based on feedback from our investigators, from patients and their families, and certainly from the UMDF and MitoAction, we think that this is a study that we can complete um, and, the, by, and have results by the first half of 2016. But with any trial, it's always a goal to hopefully recruit more quickly and be able to have those results even sooner. And we'll do whatever we need to to help facilitate uh, that recruitment and hopefully look at recruiting that study and anticipating is there an opportunity to be faster with results than the first half of 2016. 
Travis, I have a question from an adult patient who says I'm currently without a mitochondrial specialist due to some clinic changes. So what would be the best way for me to begin to say that I want to get involved in this trial? And I think that's a good question in general. If you'll just review for everyone listening, what is their next step? So certainly the call center would be an area that we can direct patients um, to some of the individual study sites. Um, a referral from a, a doctor that may be seeing this patient would be another option. So I think both of those options are available. And certainly talking with you, Christy, at MitoAction and the UMDF may be able to connect them with a physician nearby locally that can help make such a referral. Okay, perfect. And just to follow up and to confirm for anyone who's listening, You'll be able to find the number in order to access the call center on both UMDF and MitoAction's websites. And uh, as Travis said, we'll also be glad to help. But I know that is a concern for a lot of adult patients who don't have a Mito specialist home at this time. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Christy. Cliff, do we have other callers or questions? I know we are um, wrapping up in the next few minutes. Yeah. We're, we're running out of time, but um, I'll ask the question, is this a therapy that is also hoped to benefit patients who have a mitochondrial disease that was not inherited? We may have covered that, but uh, you know, this person may be just joining. Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, uh, Cliff. And, and I think you, you know from the way that you and I have talked about mitochondrial disease, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that everyone has mitochondrial diseases, and uh, the patients that have inherited mitochondrial diseases are not alone, and that aging itself is a mitochondrial disease. And we think there's an opportunity that mitochondrial myopathy affects not only patients that have a genetically confirmed mitochondrial disease, but may impact patients that have myopathy generally stemming from mitochondrial dysfunction. So I think there may be the potential. Clinical trials certainly need to be conducted to be able to demonstrate that potential, not only to patients, but certainly to the FDA as well as the EMEA in Europe. But to your original premise, I think mitochondrial dysfunction is a problem we all have. And what we're looking to be able to do is to be able to restore and fix mitochondrial dysfunction in patients and hopefully benefit the quality of life for patients. Great. On, um, okay. on that note, um, Cliff, do you have any other questions that have come in that have not been covered? I, I think we've covered everything. I, I, you know, I would be remiss in saying that the trials are so, if I didn't say that trials are so uh, incredibly important. And uh, I know Phil Yeski, who is our Science and Alliance Officer here at UMDF, has worked diligently to put together a, a patient registry. and. We would encourage, it's not a UMDF patient registry, it's for the entire community, so we would encourage everyone to get into that registry so that we can have that data that's so critically important, and, uh, and I just feel that's, that's an important thing to mention as we wrap up. I'll uh, jump on that and also say that uh, for all of you who are listening, you know, sometimes it's, um, it's a tough decision to be a part of a trial when you don't get to continue to have the benefit after the trial is over. But we're really counting on the patient community to be involved so that it advances this opportunity and broadens the scope for treatment. And, um, you know, this is a an orphan disease space, and truly we've seen tremendous progress in the last five years, but we still have a long road ahead of us and I encourage any of you who are listening who think, well, I might fit that criteria, but I'm not sure if I want to travel or I'm not sure if I will be able to do it. It's, it's worth the call and it's worth trying to see about getting involved because um, yep. we are really working together to bring these types of therapies so that, you know, we, we can imagine ourselves five years from now and we'll be able to say, here's your options. 
when you have a diagnosis of mitochondrial disease. And, uh, and Travis and the entire team itself, we applaud you guys' efforts for bringing us to this point. And please know that we're fully behind you and, and supportive and enthusiastic about helping take this to the next step. Absolutely. Travis, any closing comments on your side? No, Christy, I, I don't have anything additional to add, but to thank, obviously, MitoAction and UMDF for their support, and to thank the, the patients and families um, that are participating in the call today for their questions. And we at Stealth are looking to be able to help patients with mitochondrial disease, and this study is really a first step for us to be able to do this. We hope to have more engagement with the mitochondrial community, and certainly as we've been developing, as you mentioned at the outset of the call, our work together with MitoAction and our work together with UMDF. As we continue the development of Bendavia and Acuvia, we want to have an interaction that's available so patients understand where we are, what we're doing, and how we're developing these drugs for mitochondrial disease. So I can't thank you enough for joining today and asking your questions, and I look forward to continuing these discussions as we progress on the development of Bendavia and Acuvia Stealth. Thank you. Thank you, Cliff, for setting us up today with this uh, excellent opportunity to have a webinar. And, uh, you know, I just want to reiterate on behalf of both UMDF and MitoAction, if you have additional questions, you can certainly share those with us uh, via social media or email, and we'll be compiling a summary of today's call and helping put all the information in one place where people can direct their attention to be able to call and ask additional questions. But if you have those questions, feel free to send them our way, and we'll always do our best to get them answered as well. Cliff, anything else on your side? No, thank you, Christy. This this is, again, a, a great collaboration, and we're always pleased to work together to present the latest information. And, again, just to remind everybody, if you missed something or want to go back and, and rehear and relook at this webinar, um, we will have this uh, posted uh, on both websites, hopefully by the end of today. Um, so just want to make sure that everybody knows that, that you can share the link with your friends as well and, and have them uh, – listen in and, and learn this latest information. And share this with your doctors as well. We appreciate you passing the information on uh, in, in all of the groups and, and mechanisms that you have. So thank you, everyone. Thank all you, right, everyone. congratulations and, and again to the stealth team. No, and thank the investigators that have worked hard on this study. Um, they've really put in the, the work to help us get to a place where we can begin this trial. And so our hats go off to everyone at Mass General Hospital, UCSD, uh, University of Pittsburgh, as well as Akron Children's. Thank you all.